Greetings once again in Jesus' name. I love those songs that were led here this morning. What a beautiful privilege to sing the songs of the faith. And that last one especially, while it's hard to sing um, with its patterns and its structure, powerful, powerful message in that song. And uh, I long to learn to sing that song better. We don't sing it often enough. It is a personal journey for me. It is things that I have learned for myself. These are things that I'm learning from other people. And to see the end of this movement, to see the end of Christian contemporary music, to see the end of rock and roll is terrifying to me. And I don't want to curse the darkness as I preach. But I hope that somehow in some things that are said this weekend that a little light can be shown for you that would start a personal journey for yourself to discover the truth that sets men free. Just a few notes from what I didn't get said um, in the last two messages. I just want to touch on a few things. It's interesting sometimes how people who aren't like us kind of get the basics. When I was listening to a black uh, band leader on YouTube, I was trying to understand a little bit more about CCM or Christian contemporary music and some of the path that it's taking and the end result of where it's going. And he said it like this. He said, We are not here to lift up ourselves. We are not here to put the spotlights on ourselves. And if and when we're singing praise and worship to our God, we seek attention for ourselves, it's time for us to sit down. Very, very true. He's not in the place I'm at. But he was a leader of a band, and he was in charge of organizing the band before praise and worship. And he approached the drummer, or the drummer approached him, and he said, I would like you, he told the band leader this, he said, I would like you to aim that light right on me because I have a very important place in this song. And the band leader looked at him and says, I have a very special light for you. He says, it's right there on the front bench. And you're going to sit down and someone else is going to take your place because you just told me the glory is for you. And we're singing to him. I wish we'd get a hold of some of that. There'd be a lot of people sitting down. I'm afraid there would be. It's my understanding this morning that much of where we're at today is because of the apostatized church. And it's interesting as you study history and study the movements of the Negro spiritual and what all that was all about. And they had a lot of kind of shallow but meaningful songs. They, they sang, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. They sang, Michael, Row Your Boat Ashore. They sang, I've got shoes, you got shoes, all God's children got shoes, because they didn't have any. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes, I'm going to walk all over God's heaven. They sang as oppressed people. They sang their values. They sang their hopes. And embedded in their songs was even codes to each other that tonight we escape. Michael, row your boat ashore. I understand that's what that's all about. Tonight is the night that we run for freedom. So they sang for a lot of reasons. And they sang about their problems, but in their problems they sang about their solutions. We ain't got any shoes right now. That's a problem. But when we get to heaven, we're going to put on our shoes. Well, out of the Negro spirituals came rhythm and blues. And the offspring of those who sang the Negro spirituals started singing about their problems. But their solution didn't rest in Jesus Christ. Their solution rested in drugs and suicide. It's terrible. But that's what they sang about. I am sad and here's how we fix it. At least they had a solution. Today's music has none. They sing about their problems but they have no solution. 
And so it's like the song, The Rolling Stones, that the Rolling Stones sing. It's just a continuous stone rolling on and on and on and on. And it flows on and on and it never stops. That's a terrible message because it gives you no solution and foundation for your problems. I'm going to give you some of those songs this morning. What is worship this morning? It is giving your body as a living sacrifice. It's not closing my eyes, swaying back and forth, getting this worshipful look full on my eyes, getting this emotional experience, and I walk home and I, I had this experience. So, so now we go home and we come back next Sunday and we do it all again. It's way deeper than that, friends. Way deeper than that. And Romans 6, 12 and 13 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as they that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That is worship. And the NIV says this in Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you want to worship God this morning, then open your fist and give what is yours to God and give all of it to Him. The most significant How would I say this? The most significant symptom or observable motion that I can make this morning of a lack of conversion is a fist. I have what I have, and don't you dare take it or I'll hit you. This is the sign of resistance. This is the greatest sign that I am not worshiping God, I'm worshiping myself. But when I open my hand, that is a sign of worship to God. You can take what you want. I give it all to you, and you can give me back what you desire. And I always keep my hand open to God, and that is a sign that I'm converted. And when truth comes to me, I allow God to take what He wants, and I never close my hand to Him. Giving God your body as a living sacrifice is your spiritual act of worship. Come to church in that spirit and you will leave knowing who you have worshipped. I've been talking about church worship. God did not intend us in this day and age to bring instruments into the church. He did it in the Old Testament. He'll do it in the New Dispensation. But today, the best expression that we have of worship to God is give our bodies and lift our voices to Him with the accompaniment of a pure and holy heart that surrendered to Him. Now, I went to shift gears, shift gears just a little bit this morning. I'm no longer talking about church worship. I'm talking about our personal worship. I'm talking about what goes on in our hearts. What are you listening to in your earbuds? What are you listening to on your iPod? What are you listening to in your car? What are you listening to in your bedroom when no one else can listen. I'm going to show you this morning a study that was done. This was done by a high school by the name of Jeff Merrill. The title of this study, or the conclusion to this study, was Mozart or Rock and Roll. For these mice that were involved in this study, it was a no-brainer of what they should be listening to. According to David Merrill, a 16-year-old River High School student whose high school experiment supports what parents have been saying from the start, that hard rock taints the brain, well, at least the mice proved that rock and roll is not good for the brain. So David went to Dominion University, and he found a friend there that would support him and show him how to do a true scientific study on what he wanted to know. There were some answers that he had. Is it true 
that what our preachers in the 80s and 90s were saying, that rock music is dangerous for you both physically and spiritually, was it true? So he took 72 laboratory mice, a stopwatch. He built himself a five-foot by three-foot maze. He bought some music from a hard rock group called Anthrax. Have you ever heard of it? Anthrax is just what it sounds like. It's what I always thought rock and roll was. Now, Elvis Presley proved to me that I did not know what rock and roll was. What Elvis Presley sang is a lot what we listen to in Southern gospel music. It was a lot the same. He maybe played it a little crazier. But this was hard rock music. This was crazy stuff. So he bought a CD of Anthrax. He got himself a, like an hour-long CD of Mozart and um, worked with this old Dominion University statistician to establish whether hard rock music affects the, mice, the, the, the brains of mice. Um, in the process of this study, he actually won uh, top honors in a regional and state science fair and uh, earned accolades from the Navy and the CIA. So this, this is not just a fly-by-night study. This was done very well, and it was recognized by the top tiers of society that, that he did his work well. So, so he, he assembled, he, I said 72 mice, but he started with 24, and he, he divided them up into, into eight. So eight, eight, eight. Eight times three is 24. And uh, he had a control group. There was eight group, there were eight mice that didn't get any music at all. There was eight mice that listened to Mozart for, I'm going to back up here. They listened to Mozart 10 hours a day, they listened to Anthrax 10 hours a day, and the rest of the mice didn't get any music at all for 24 hours a day. And so, to ensure scientific validity, he weighed all these mice, uh, made sure they all weighed the same basic weight, uh, made sure they were all the, the same age and they all got the same food. So he put them in his basement for a week. Now, if you don't know what a maze is, a maze looks like this. Um, you've done you've done some of these before, I'm sure. Um, you're familiar with that. You, you run through those blocks. There's a lot of places that get blocked off. You got to back up and find your way through. Well, uh, they took the entrance of the maze. They put the mice there, and they put food at the other end. They got to find their way through, and they, then he timed them to see. Um, how fast they would get through. So after a week in his basement, he started playing music. One group got Mozart, 10 hours a day. One group got Anthrax, 10 hours a day. And one group got no music, 24 hours. So before they got the music, all of these mice could basically run through this maze in 10 minutes. Um... And, you know, we get smarter as we get older. We get smarter with experience. So the theory is, if you run these mice through this maze three times a week, under normal circumstances, the mice should get smarter, and they should be able to run through it faster each time they do it. Uh, they can memorize. They're, they're smart. So in the end, after three weeks of music, or lack thereof, the group that listened to Mozart trimmed their time from 600 seconds, which equals 10 minutes. They could run that maze in 90 seconds. They, they, they got their bearings. They could sniff the air. They figured out how to get through there, and they were cooking. They got through a minute and a half at the end of three weeks. The mice that listened to anthrax for 10 hours a day, for three weeks. It took them 1,800 seconds at the end of three weeks. That's 30 minutes. They increased their time from 10 minutes. They got confused by the end of those three weeks. It took them 1,800, 1800 seconds, which is 30 minutes. And the mice that had no music at all were able to do it in... Um, Five minutes. So, so, so the belief is that classical music, in its glory, and I hope I hope you like some of that. It's beautiful stuff. Um, I don't recommend the new stuff. They they have introduced the rock beat into that, but the old stuff is is tremendous. It's it's natural in its 
um, rhythm patterns. It seems like it actually helps to organize the brain as you study. Um, but that's the truth of that. We need to go figure that. Um, we should have known that. The confusion that comes through syncopation and backbeats um, is a confusion to the human mind, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Is it any wonder that in this new postmodernism, in these new dark ages, that we are seeing increasing amounts of children that can't read? We're seeing children whose minds are not working well. It's not just the music, but that's a heavy contributor to it. What is the word from ancient philosophers? Who were they? Plato, Aristotle, um, those who were seen as the thinkers of the day in the time of Alexander the Great, Homer. Uh, these were men who were supposedly the guiding force for that generation, and unfortunately they're the guiding force to today. They still have their influence, they being dead yet speak. But the ancient Greeks... Uh, believed that music was first practiced by the gods before it was gifted to men. Now, we believe that music that was ancient was first practiced by God. They believe it was first practiced by the gods and was gifted to men, and it mysteriously penetrated the soul with divine influence. We believe that music penetrates the soul with influence. It has the power to change. It's amazing. Aristotle believed that music had the power to shape human character. I agree with that. He believed it had the power to affect behavior. Interestingly enough, in David Merrill's study, he repeated the study, and the group that was listening to Anthrax, he had to stop the study because they started killing each other. Mice are communal animals. They get along fine. And the ones that weren't listening to music and the ones that had classical music were getting along fine. But the ones that listened to rock music started killing each other. That is why when youth and people listen to rock music, they start rebelling against their authorities. You can prove that scientifically. You can see it with your eyes. When Elvis Presley and Fast Domino and all those groups got started, there was an immediate Rebellion against authority in school. The movies started portraying, portraying violence where, where students would rise up against the teachers. They all started fighting. Now we see it proven scientifically with mice. Aristotle believed um, that music imitates, or music that imitates certain emotions such as anger, excitement, sadness, bitterness, joy, and hope would arouse the same emotions in those that listened. And this goes right along with one of the artists that I listened to. He said, you don't need to be trained how to play guitar. You take that guitar and make it say whatever you want it to say. Aristotle believed that as well. Plato believed that the boy who listened to soft, indolent tunes would become effeminate, and while the boy who listened to bold, energetic music would become a leader. He also made a bold statement that music held so much power on human behavior that if he could get a control of the songs and music of a nation, he doesn't care who would make their laws. I believe that. It's true. <clears throat> the ancient Athenians and the Spartans banned certain types of music as harmful to their public welfare. David Thames in The Secret Power of Music, while he's not an ancient philosopher, he, he wrote the book, The Secret Power of Music. He said, There is scarcely a single function of the body which cannot be affected by musical tones. That would include digestion, internal secretions, respiration, and heartbeat. John Price, in his book, Old Light and New Worship, that I showed you yesterday, in his chapter, The Psychology of Music, he goes to say that recent neurological studies have used PET scans to analyze the response of human brains to music. These studies have shown that music can produce intensely pleasurable, even euphoric emotional responses. 
The same areas of the brain that are influenced by euphoria, uh, euphoria-induced stimuli such as food, sex, and drugs of abuse are activated by music. PET scans also have shown that those brain regions involved in re- uh, decision and reasoning, um, excuse me, PET technology has shown that those brain regions involved in reasoning and decision-making are deactivated, completely deactivated in pianists when they perform their musical pieces. No one this morning, I don't believe, would deny with their mouth that music is dangerously powerful. But I question whether most of us believe that with our hearts. There is the phenomenon of syncopation, and you've heard that term. I'm going to try to describe it to you simply this morning because it is complicated. I can't recognize it when I listen to music other than sometimes that beat seems really, really weird. But there are a lot of people who can recognize it. But a syncopated beat is an unnatural or a contrary to nature or contrary to mathematics rhythm pattern. I've tried to study the rhythms of nature. Is there a way that a person can prove that that waves flow with nature? Um, there have been people that have tried to understand that. Some people believe that every seventh wave is the biggest wave. Does the wind speak naturally? But I think the closest thing we can come to of nature, uh, of, of what's natural in nature, is the heartbeat. And if you listen to your heartbeat in a stethoscope, if you have a natural heartbeat, it goes boom, 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 like that. But the rhythm of Christian contemporary music and rock music is the opposite of that. It goes boom, 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 boom. The accent is on the second beat rather than the first, which is natural. The strongest beat of nature is on the first accent and the weaker one follows. In syncopation, we rearrange the rhythm to exactly the opposite. There's another way that you can create syncopation, which is very strange. And that is you can make the beat fall between the words. Now, I could talk like a robot here this morning in a monotone and take the rhythm out of my voice. But I'm putting emphasis on certain words And that is where the accent falls. But think about how strange it would be if I could make the the, the rhythm fall between my words. But that is exactly what Christian contemporary music does. You'd almost have to talk in a hiccup to do that. I'm, I'm not sure how you would do it. Syncopation is not bad. They used it in classical music of the Enlightenment period. But they used it sparingly. They used it at a time when they wanted to get your attention. And it gave tension to the song, but then the song resolved itself and, it, and, and relaxed the tension. It creates a needful tension for a moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. I could get your attention this morning. If I told you that I walked out of the Bible school this morning and I heard a strange noise, looked up at the sky, and there's a whole flock of pigs flew over the Bible school. And if I stopped it there, you'd go home and you'd say, what was that guy talking about? Every one of you would do that. It'd be topic around the dinner table. What is wrong with him? But that is the exact mode. That is the technique that's being used in the music today. They create tension and they don't resolve it. The problem is they use too much of it. It might be appropriate this morning to take the hymn, The Whole World Was Lost in the Darkness of Sin, and syncopate that phrase, because it's a problem. But resolve it when it says the light of the world is Jesus. Got your attention. But now the question is answered. This is what's happening in postmodernism, in postmodernistic music. Because there are no absolutes, we talk and we sing about our problems 
but we don't have the resources to resolve them. Therefore, it becomes very normal to sprinkle or cause whole songs to be syncopated because it reflects that mood or that attitude. It's natural. It becomes very natural for a person and people who think that way to accept syncopated music because it's natural to them. They're already thinking that way. Their minds are already out of kilter. And so the music is attractive to them. It resonates with people who are living an empty and problem-filled life that really don't care to find a solution. It also creates a sensual stomp beat. It makes it easy to, to slap to, to, to slap your hands or to stomp your feet. It's very, very sensual in its product. It actually clashes with the rhythm of our hearts and the natural rhythm, and it pulls the emotions and the brain into a mode of confusion. It actually creates a phenomenon in the body that prepares you to fight without knowing what you're going to fight. The natural rhythm of the heart tells the body that all is well. But the music is telling the body that something is wrong. And the body is forced to create endorphins and enzymes that keep the body in a heightened state of alert. This kind of constant stimulation produces rushes, constant rushes of adrenaline. The music, in this sense, almost becomes like a drug. I was in an apostolic church a number of years ago. We were there for the tragic death of a grandson of a sister in our congregation. That sister's son is a pastor in the apostolic church. And I knew that service was going to be wild. We walked into the church and the entire ceiling and all the walls are, are covered with, with that black soundproofing material. The music of the church's, the church's program was not designed around preaching. It was designed around the music. And they got up front that morning and they said, we're going to have church because this is what this young man loved. We're going to have church. Well, I knew what that meant. It meant there would be a lot of yelling. There would be a lot of music. Loud, syncopated music. I'm told, excuse me, while I was there that morning, the preacher started yelling. And he said, we don't do drugs. We don't do TV. We don't do this. We don't do that. And he mentioned a bunch of the world's devices. But what I heard from the town in an indirect way is that when those young people come into Taco Bell after the service, their eyes are dilated like they were drugged. There is also the manipulation of the chords in Christian contemporary music that tampers with the harmony. The harmony is the color of the song. And because I'm not a musician, I can't tell you and verify this, but this is what some are telling us. That Christian contemporary music is tampering with the color of the song by reducing the song to four chords, and then even snipping out parts of those to create kind of a floaty feeling. Christian contemporary music in its rhythm patterns are very, very difficult to sing. That's why it's hard to hear their songs on the radio or on a CD and bring them to church and sing them congregationally. They've tampered with the rhythm so bad that you have to sing a solo in order to sing them. But they've also tampered with the simple part of the song. And I understand that educationally, this music is written on a third or fourth grade level. Very, very simple. And it fits right into the postmodernistic genre, who is, which is seeking to dumb down people and get them to stop thinking. The music is supporting this philosophy. There is the harmony, which involves the chords and the color. There's the rhythm patterns in every song. And then there's a the melody. It's a simple tune. 
They've got it backwards. We believe that the rhythm should be kept simple, the harmony should be beautiful, and the tune should be easy to sing. But CCM has swept this all the way around, made the, made the rhythm hard to sing, and took out the color and made the tunes really easy. And the, the question was asked, I just heard somebody say this the other day, he said, why do they do that? He made an interesting observation. He said, because it takes skill to write good music, and skill is missing. They're missing their intelligence. They're very smart in rhythm patterns, but they have not the skill to write the music that they wrote in the Enlightenment. It's a product of postmodernism. Another method they use for syncopation is to intentionally mix clashing themes to start a new song. And I'll illustrate it this way. When you listen to a pianist start the song, Jesus Loves Me, they'll often take a phrase out of the song to begin the song, such as, Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. And then they'll start into the song. Well, in the new CCM, Christian Contemporary Music, they're actually taking phrases and chords and melody from another song that has nothing to do with the song they're going to sing. It's done simply to create tension to keep people know, from knowing what to expect. It creates that mood that's so common in today's society. It's a deliberate creating of more unresolved tension and surprise. They're slowing down the music today. It used to be that we sang songs that are upbeat. And it is proper to sing some of our hymns in an upbeat way. There's other times that we close our eyes and we sing things quietly. But the new mode of Christian contemporary music is to slow it all down. This particular person that was talking, he said, you know why that is, don't you? It's because they are not skilled enough to sing the song. They have been dumbed down educationally that they're difficult to sing, and it takes a while to sing it. They're not singing it with, with the confidence that, that they ought to have. They're very simple tunes. Why is it today, in this day and age, that quality music is not being written? And I think it, a lot of it has to do with shallow people, and shallow music creates more shallow music. The Bible declares the Christian life to be one of surety and clarity. And the Bible declares that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The spirit of this age doesn't give us that clarity. It clouds that clarity. It means to confuse and keep people confused because confused people are easier to control. But it flies in the face of Christianity because God says, that life is sure when you walk with Christ. We have been given the spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have a hope and an anchor of the soul that's both sure and steadfast. That clashes with postmodernism. They don't teach you to do that. We need an anchor today in a world where people are deliberately being confused and losing their moorings. It's amazing today where we're at and how people are losing their mornings. They have nothing to hold on to. That's partially because they're responsible for what they're listening to. Modernism was about education. Postmodernism is about dumbing down society. Christian contemporary music is truly dumbed down music. It's a shame when the structure of our music is reduced down to about the level of Dr. Seuss. And that's about where it's at. Those who are not yielded to Christ and do not want to be yielded to Christ love the confusion of this age. They that claim to walk in the light but cling to darkness cannot be a part of God's kingdom of light and truth. We all know this. And those of you that have children understand this, that when you try to teach a child to obey you, as long as he keeps you confused, and as long as he can keep himself confused, he will not obey you. He doesn't have to. He continue to do as he pleases. And when we, when we stay confused as to what God is saying to us, we are free in a sense to do whatever we want. 
But there's consequences for that. I'm going to give you a couple songs here this morning. The lyrics to a couple songs. This is not a Christian song. This is written by Bob Dylan, a rock star in the 60s. And this is the chorus. How does it feel, how does it feel to be on your own with no direction home like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? Just a constant rolling stone. How does it feel to be that way? Never come to a conclusion. Never find the truth. Never, never, never find your moorings. How does it feel? It's very postmodern in its philosophy. Here's a song that's a little more toned down. This is a Christian country song. He played the game on special occasions. By the way, the Rolling Stone um, that is being referred to is a stone of crack cocaine or possibly referring to marijuana. It's referring to drugs. How does it feel to be on a drug and be rolling on and on and on without your moorings? This is also a song about drugs, but it illustrates my point. He played the game on special occasions. He said that he could quit any time. He was playing with the master of deception, and living high became a way of life. wasn't long until he lost his job and family. The thing he once loved, now we're gone. He cursed the drug. I've got a verse mixed up there. Things he once loved, now he's gone, and then it talks about how he committed suicide. He cursed the drug as he was going down. The late evening tells a story. He dies in every living room in town. If he only knew that someone would take the pain away, if he only knew that someone cared. I wish I would have told him about a better way. I wish I would have taken time to care. Do you see the problem in that song? Do you see the solution in that song? There is none. He wished, he wished, he wished, he wished, but he never did it. What's the difference between this song and the first one I put up? Not a whole lot. Some of you might know this song. This is actually an a cappella song. Very, very beautiful song. But the same idea is here. Tell me where is the road I can call my own? That I left, that I lost so long ago. All these years I have wondered, oh, when will I know? There's a road, there's a way, there's a road that will lead me home. Rise up and follow. The first three. Come away is the call with the love in your heart as the only song. There is no such beauty as where you belong. Rise up and follow me. I will lead you home. But they never got there. Very, very subtle, but there's a similarity between all three of these songs. There's a problem, but there is no solution. Very, very simply written. Very, very simply written in its language. You know what the song says? It's so beautiful. That describes a Christian so well that he has his hand open. I have ceased from my wonderings and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. It's a wonderful, liberating song that sets us free from this spirit and this attitude of postmodernism. We don't want an endless life of nothingness. We're looking for a home in heaven. And in order to get there, we have to have an open hand of surrender to Christ. This morning we're calling for rejection of confusion as a way of life and entreating us to embrace a vision of clarity and honesty. Ephesians 5.17 says, Be not unwise, but understanding as to what the Lord, the way of the Lord is. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, but not after Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. 
You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Be not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What a wonderful thing to be a child of God, and what a horrible thing to be a child of the devil. Whosoever loveth this world is an enmity with God. James calls that person an adulterer or an adulteress. I am told that there was a man who interviewed Tommy Hilfiger. And he warned Tommy that if he got into the clothing industry, there was a price to pay. You had to become a homosexual. And it's my understanding that all those that are involved in the major brands of clothing have to be a homosexual to be part of that that successful group of clothing uh, manufacturers and designers. I've also been told, and I'm not going to declare to you that I know for a fact that this is true. I've seen enough evidence of it being true that in order to be a successful musician in this most modern, postmodern day and age, that you have to swear allegiance to the Freemasons who worship Lucifer, the bearer of light. I've seen evidence of that. I've seen a lot of evidence of that. That if a person wants to be a, pop- a popular music, music star today that is successful, you have to swear allegiance to that organization. You cannot this morning eat at the Lord's table and eat at the table of devils. And if that's true, if that's true, that's a scary thought that some of us may be feasting at the table of devils. Someday, I believe that there will be a song written that the whole world will sing and worship to Antichrist. The whole world will be deceived into singing it, and it will be an attractive song to those who have embraced that type of music. The whole world would be deceived to sing it together, save for those who have the mark of the living God written in their foreheads. And those who have been willing to be honest with God in their life up to that point, Those who live in the clarity and the purity of the gospel are the only ones who will be given pure spiritual sight to see that song for what it is. And it's going to be the song of the damned. And those who belong to Christ cannot and will not sing it. I believe that one of these days, everyone's eyes are going to be open to see the false church's music program for what it really is. And if God would grant you just a little bit of that light, you would have nothing to do with it. And I say that because I'm afraid of what I have seen. Those who belong to Christ must reject the popular Christian contemporary music. This morning, look for that light. Seek for that light. Beg for that light that God would show you the truth of what is happening. Walk in the light, the Scripture says, and you will see more light. It is possible, my friends, this morning that the temple of God can become the synagogue of Satan. The postmodern world is a world of confusion. The postmodern world is an age with no absolutes. Truth is whatever you want to make it. The music of today, both Christian and non-Christian, supports that confusion and those lack of absolutes. 
The postmodern age teaches and uses music to do so. That doctrine must take a back seat and feelings get in the driver's seat. What do I do when it comes to music? And all that I've seen and all that I know about it and I know so very little. I know I know so very little. But I've come in the rejection of the music of confusion to love the hymns of the faith. And you will never love the meat and potatoes till you get rid of the candy bars. These hymns, whether they're a cappella or whether they're instrumentally accompanied, minister to my spirit. I listen to a cappella or orchestral accompaniment often to the hymns of the faith. And at this point in my life, I've come to the conclusion that if I can hear a drum beat in Christian music, I reject it. I didn't say rhythm. But if I can hear a distinct drum beat at this point in my life, for my own protection, I simply say no. I'm not going there. I have put it away save for the emphatic beat of a timpani drum in classical music. And you hear it a few times. It's amazing. You hear it in the Handel's Messiah. And on the high points of the Hallelujah Chorus, you hear a drum roll that's tremendous. But it's very, very subtle. It's interesting to see it happen. But it's to put emphasis on a point in the song that needs to be emphasis, and then it's silent. I do listen to old classical music. I do listen to um, some march music. Because I know that in that march music, there's a 4-4 beat, and it is not syncopated. It's natural to the human heart. You can use your judgment to say whether that's appropriate or not. But that does get me going sometimes, and I do enjoy that. I have naturally in my past gravitated towards southern country, southern gospel, Christian country, and old contemporary music in my day. I love the music of Steve Green. I loved the music of Ray Bolts. But I remember sitting in my living room, the couple from non-Mennonite background, and I had kind of digressed from some of my convictions, and I went to a yard sale, and I bought a couple old Ray Bolt CDs. The doctrinal message of that music seemed tremendous, but it had a crashing beat. I had that music in my hands. I was telling this couple that I occasionally listened to that. That lady looked at me and she said, Did you know that that man is now homosexual? I knew it. I knew it. But I still like the music. She said, Don't you think it would be a good idea that you take that music and put it in the trash can? I took the music and put it in the trash can. Because I have something better. I have something that feeds me. I have something that matures me. I have something that challenges me. And it's not something that's going to draw me into a deeper pit or vortex. What should you do this morning if you want to know the truth about the music you listen to? Well, the first thing I can tell you is you must repent and be converted. Because we will never see light if we are not converted. If we have a close fist toward God, even if it's something that we value very much, and we refuse to let it go, we will not see light. And we must be converted and open our hands if you want to see light. So that's the first thing I would encourage you to do. If you're not converted, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure that you belong to Christ, open your hand to Him. Surrender to Him. And ask Him for light, that the, that, 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 that the times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. Number two, reject what you already know is wrong. And I could ask you the question, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if, if I asked you to, 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 to tell me this morning, who is the father of rock music? Who is it? You all know the answer. You know who it is. It's the devil. You can never say that God is the father of rock music. So reject what you already know is wrong. There was a, a young man that came to my son and wanted to argue about music. And he said, look, you already know what's right and wrong. There's, there's no point in even... You know the blacks and whites. I agree, there's a lot of gray. But we know the black and white. We know what's right and wrong, for sure. Number three, ask, seek, and knock. Open your fist and keep 
your hands open to God, allowing Him to take into your hands whatever He wants to take and place back in whatever is best for you. Number four, don't be afraid to study this subject intensely. It'll take a while. It takes a humble heart to do that. Music is some of the most powerful things. It gets, it gets, it gets you wrapped up in it. It is hard to let go. But let go! Study it with an open heart. Keep an open heart to what you learn. Once you get light, this subject is not as gray as you might think. I think rock music is simply a symptom of an unsurrendered heart. Number five, when you separate from something wrong, replace it with something good. There's that old principle that Jesus talked about. When a spirit goes out of a man's house and he keeps it and gets it cleansed and garnished, make sure you fill it with something because if that heart remains empty, a spirit seven times worse is going to come back in. Same principle goes for music. If you cleanse the bad music out of your heart and out of your body, out of your, out of, out of your house and out of your possession, replace it with something good. When I threw my music away, and I think I did this three or four times, had to go. Go right back, but I had to spend twenty dollars to get the cassette back. Fifteen, twenty dollars. Today, just get your phone back and go right back on YouTube. Doesn't cost you a red cent. It's easier to go back today than it was back in those days. One testimony said this when I stopped listening to wrong music, it freed me up to sing that new song. A new song establishes new memories associated with crisis events. You know, it's a crying shame when you lose a family member and you turn to Carrie Underwood for comfort. That's a terrible thing. You should go to God's Word and the anchor of your soul in times when the winds are tough. You should be grabbing the scriptures and songs and hymns and spiritual songs to comfort you. But when you have to go to a country star to find your comfort in a time of crisis... You're in a lot of trouble. Do not attempt this morning to get away from your wrong music without dealing with the heart that caused it. I could have a sensational event. I could, I, I could, have, a, I could have a little fire up here. And I could have you all bring your music and your bad books if you have any. And we could, we, could, we could go outside and have a fire and we could have a big burning. What good does that do? Because when I have wrong music, there's something wrong with me. And until we deal with who we are, we'll never deal with the problem of wrong music. Pursue this morning that new song. It's a song that only the redeemed will sing. We'll hear about that tonight. There is a new song that comes from the liberation of being redeemed from ourselves and seeing the light and putting away that confusion and finding our moorings and foundations in Christ. It's a beautiful song, and I hope that you love to sing it.